Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. Before we dive into today's text, I want you to think for a moment about the basis of your relationships. What attracts you to another person? Is it because they're a pretty good person sharing the same values as you? Are you interested in the relationship for what you can get out of it? Does the other person offer some prestige or power by association? Are you in a relationship with someone because, well, because you're related to them? Hopefully most of your relationships are founded in love. You genuinely care for the other person. Now let me ask you again, what is the basis of your relationship with God? What attracts you to Him? Why are you here today? And what on a daily basis controls your thoughts and actions? Turn your attention to the screens or to your Bibles or your devices. And let's get some insight today into another of the parables of Jesus. We're going to turn today to Luke 14. Luke chapter 14, and I'm going to begin with uh, verses 1 through 6. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. Jesus finds himself on a Sabbath dining in the prominent in the home of a prominent Pharisee. This man was one of the leaders of the Jews of Jesus' day. He was part of the religious elite, defining the law for others and policing the activities of the common people. Jesus, as we read in the Gospels, was uh, in frequent conflict with the, Paris, with the Pharisees because though they were viewed as religious leaders, they did not lead others to a closer relationship with God. Their many rules and their haughty attitudes reinforced the belief common individuals had about themselves, that they were, in fact, far from God. Because of their conflict, the Pharisees were continually watching Jesus to see if they could catch him breaking their laws. Now, in this instance, Jesus appears to be an invited guest, but I don't think we go, could, could go so far as to say that he was an honored guest. I think it's more like the saying, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. A man suffering from some sort of edematous condition appears right before Jesus. And 
as I picture this, it's almost as if this man is planted as a test case for Jesus. Because the Pharisees were always eager to see how Jesus would handle a situation, especially when it came to this issue of the Sabbath. They looked for opportunities to embarrass him, to make him look bad in front of the common people. <clears throat> Unfortunately for them, their strategy usually backfired because Jesus, being who he was, knew their hearts and, and he knew how to answer them, how to respond to them, what to do when he was attacked by them. And so the question is, would he do anything about this man's condition since it was the Sabbath? The fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments established the seventh day of each week as a Sabbath on which God's people were not supposed to work. The Pharisees were chief among those who clearly defined those rules about work so that they could avoid Sabbath behaviors that were displeasing to God. And they had, as a result, they had rules that could possibly, uh, that, that, that could cover anything you could imagine. Anything that could be perceived as work in any way, they had rules for it. Just a little bit after the time of Jesus, the Talmud lists 39 different categories of work that in turn are further subdivided to rule out, really, if we're going to be honest, most of the activities of everyday life for one day out of seven. Their traditions limited, for example, how far they could walk on the Sabbath or how much they could carry on the Sabbath. Their rules prohibited things like kindling or extinguishing a fire. By the way, Orthodox Jews nowadays, they carry that over to turning an electric switch on or off. Uh, you begin to get an idea for how picayunish this could become, how difficult it would be to follow. Though they carefully defined things that might be displeasing to God, they gave very little thought to, those, to doing those things that were clearly pleasing to God. And that's often where Jesus uh, approaches them, what he tries to get them to see. Don't worry so much about what you're not supposed to do. Concentrate more on what God would have you to do. Like healing someone who is sick. Jesus asked if it was lawful to heal this man on the Sabbath. And as he asked, he's not really inquiring about their knowledge or application of the law. He's ultimately trying to discern their hearts and trying to get them to see the condition of their heart. What was most important to them? Keeping the law or loving others as God did? Did they share the heart and character of the Father? They did not answer him. Jesus had caught them in a dilemma. If they said it was unlawful to heal the man, they would be portrayed as not loving or caring for the suffering of others. On the other hand, if they said it was lawful, how would they uphold their Sabbath rules. 
Also, we have to keep in mind, but according to their reasoning, this man was likely sick as a punishment for his own sin and thus not worthy of being healed. And when they did not respond to him, Jesus answered his own question with action, followed by words. He healed the man. And then he asked them if they would break the Sabbath rules to meet their own needs. Would they rescue their own child or one of their animals that fell into a well on the Sabbath? Of course they would. And the law, in fact, allowed for such acts of compassion on the Sabbath. Yet, they still said nothing in answer to Jesus. Even though they believed, by staying quiet, that they were not implicating themselves, anyone observing could see how Jesus' words and actions pointed out that they were unloving and self-serving. And so, like many other times in Jesus' ministry, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees shines through. They would break the Sabbath if it suited them, but wanted the right to call out others on their failure to keep the Sabbath rules. Jesus further noted the self-serving nature of the Pharisees as he observed how they picked the places of honor at the table. We're going to look again at Luke, this time beginning with verse 7 and reading through Verse 14, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. Uh, <clears throat> for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Those who are picking their places at the table, these were important people. And they knew they were important, and they wanted others to know it as well. And what better way to do that than to pick the seat of honor at the table? And so Jesus told a parable illustrating and concluding with the truth of verse 11. All those who, humble, who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He confronted them about their pride that caused them to choose the best seats at a banquet. Their tables were arranged in sort of a U-shaped fashion often, and the host would sit at the head of the U, and on his right hand and on his left hand would be the most honored guest, and then it went down the line from there. 
And Jesus' point is it would be better to be humble than to be humiliated. And it's best to have others honor you than to seek honor for yourself. The culture of first century Palestine was shame-based. So honor and shame were key issues of a person's identity, worth, and character. So Jesus was speaking right to them here. Thus, his summary teaching in verse 11 tells them what their attitude should be. All those who exalt themselves will be humble, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus further expounded on this truth by addressing the host, probably the most important position in their eyes. The host brokered, brokered the currency of society, influence, wealth, power, and pride. He arranged the guest list and the seating chart for the party. What was the purpose? Why did the host do this? To honor his friends, family, and rich neighbors? Yes, but it was also so that they, in turn, could do the same and honor the host on a future occasion. Jesus said, it's far better in God's eyes to invite those who are never invited into the ranks of the rich and powerful, the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And if you read through the, the entire scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, you'll see that that's where God's attention focuses. And in Jesus' ministry, that's where his attention focuses, on those who no one else pays any attention to. And it's interesting that these are the people Jesus was maligned uh, for associating with. He was accused and condemned for spending time with these kinds of people. They would never have the chance to repay. But never mind, says Jesus, because true repayment will come at the judgment. When God recognizes those who are not self-serving, but serving others, they will receive God's blessing. One of those present, hearing that, remarked that blessing would come to those sharing at God's table in the coming kingdom. Now, even though that's, that's a true statement, it's a little bit loaded because the one speaking refers to everyone when in reality he truly believed that the invitation was only for the Jews and probably only for a subset of the Jews, those who were in his social circles. They were guaranteed a place in the kingdom while there was no room at the table for poor, sick sinners. Let's see what Jesus thought about that. We're going to look at Luke 14 again, this time verses 15 through 24. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back 
and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So Jesus responds to the statement by this man with another parable that expanded on the theme of a banquet and its guests and was designed to warn the Jews of their fate if they persisted in priding themselves on their standing with God while rejecting God's invitation through Jesus the Messiah. Now, in order to understand this parable, we have to consider some differences between their customs and our own. Our society is very much time-driven. We live by the calendar and the clock on the wall, the clock on our wrist, the clock on our phone. Uh, we arrive places just in the nick of time or even sometimes fashionably late. Uh, we get annoyed when others are late or waste our time. Events for us have a definite starting point and ending point. And we get upset if we violate those, those boundaries. Um, but uh, things are different in Jesus' day and even today in other parts of the world. Uh, many societies are more relationship-driven. And they start when everyone has arrived. Uh, and they finish when everyone has had a say and has their relational needs fulfilled. Because they gather to enjoy one another's company, not to transact business. Their concept of time is elastic. Just as important as what happens is who is a part of it. Now thinking about the scenario Jesus presents here, we see that there were likely two invitations given. First was the announcement of the date, sort of like our save the date cards that we sometimes receive. This is the point at which people were expected to either accept the invitation or to turn it down. And very few turned it down. This would be sort of like our RSVP. You know, let me know if you're coming or not. Uh, the host invited many guests. And months later, on the day of the feast or party, the host would send out his servants with the second invitation, which basically said, everything's ready. Come now, be there by dark. When Dorothy's fixing a meal for the family, we may tell them to come on a certain day with the time to be determined later. And we will usually, as that day draws closer, we will narrow it down by saying, right after church or later in the evening. And when the food is ready to be served up, we gather the grandkids from inside and outside and tell everyone it's time to wash your hands and come to the dining room table. And that's the last call. If there's an empty seat at the table because someone didn't come, we're disappointed. In Jesus' parable, when the servants went out with the second, with the final invitations, 
all of the guests began to make excuses. This would be a great insult to the host. And in fact, in some Arab cultures, it is tantamount to a declaration of war to spurn an invitation like this. So why would people fail to show? I think it's because they wanted the honor of being invited without the obligation of actually attending. They offered flimsy excuses. These excuses are easy for us to see through. In reality, they did not want to attend. And once we've made up our mind about that, it's easy to make just about any kind of excuse once we've decided I'm not going to go. Um, in reality, their excuses have more to do with their relationship with the host than, than with their empty excuses. Think about the three guests mentioned and, and what they had to say. What farmer buys a field without seeing it first? No one would do that. You might be buying a swamp, a landfill, or a toxic waste site. Who buys 10 oxen without inspecting the animals? This would be a huge purchase for most farmers because most in that day and age were fortunate to have one yoke of oxen. One yoke is two oxen. Okay? Um, but to think of buying 10, 10 oxen, five yoke of oxen, without examining the animals first is unthinkable. Uh, and, and you may not relate to that scenario, but let's put it this way. Would you buy a used car without driving it first? Who sets a wedding date without considering other events? Does a wedding typically just happen without planning? Whitney, does it happen without planning? Monty, does it happen with You wouldn't know. <laughs> In the ancient Near East, the planning for a wedding began a year or so ahead of time after the formal betrothal. It is true that the Old Testament law exempted a man from military service for a year following his wedding. Deuteronomy 24.5 says, If a man has recently married, he must not be sent to war or have any other duty laid on him. For one year he is to be free to stay at home and bring happiness to the wife he has married. There you go, a year's sabbatical. <laughs> <clears throat> that doesn't mean that the married couple cuts themselves off from all other human contact or that they are relieved from all social obligations. In the Orient, a wife would be glad to have her husband on a list of honored invitees. To accept the invitation and then refuse to attend was not just an inconvenience, but a grave insult to the host. Thus, his anger that we see here is justified by the host. To make sure we understand what's going on, Jesus shares with his listeners the ridiculous excuses offered and also says they all began to offer excuses. Now, what is Jesus' point? I think it's in response to the statement about being blessed to participate in God's kingdom banquet. The meaning of the parable is found in verse 24. I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. It's not enough just to be invited. 
we must honor the host by spending time in his presence. In their culture, table fellowship was a sign of an intimate relationship with others at the table, including especially the host. In the parable, those who did not come to the banquet were replaced. Those who were not viewed as worthy of being invited, the poor, the crippled, the the lame, and the blind, were extended an invitation. And when there was still room after that, Others were gathered and compelled or pressed to come. Could it be that some of these were even their non-Israelite neighbors? The feast was an urgent matter for the host. Food was going to waste. The party was falling apart. All of those initially invited made excuses with the result that none of them was allowed entrance because they dishonored the host. Now, if we examine the details of Jesus' story a little more closely, we might recognize that the first invitation uh, was God's promises to Israel, especially extended through the messianic prophecies pronounced in the 800 years before his coming. God willingly invited them to be his people, to fellowship with him. But the offer was not without expectation. They weren't just involved in the privilege of being God's people. They had responsibility as God's people as well. There was a warning to prepare for the coming kingdom. Then the second invitation issued after a long time of waiting, marked the time of the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. His coming was immediately preceded, if you remember, by the preaching of John the Baptist, who called people to repentance, to make way for the coming of the King. The Jews believed they were especially chosen. They were privileged to know the promises of God, but they rejected the final invitation. As a result, God extended his invitation to the misfits of society, those often rejected by others, and ultimately, he extended his offer of fellowship to the Gentiles, those who were not physical descendants of Abraham. No one of us here is a Pharisee. Or are we? Do we proudly believe we are God's people? With an inside track to him due to our careful observance of the commandments? Do we have a sense of entitlement before God that sets us apart from others? Do we relegate others to less important roles in God's kingdom? Being welcomed into God's presence and into a relationship with him is not a matter of rule keeping or an accident of birth, or claiming a position of importance for oneself. It's a matter of responding to his gracious invitation to have fellowship with him through Jesus Christ. True honor before God springs out of our humility and his grace. I think it's interesting that in the flow of, John's, of Luke's gospel, rather, the next passage 
has Jesus saying this to the crowds. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. The test of a true disciple of Jesus, one who will find him or herself at the banquet table with our Lord, the test of that discipleship is our willingness to give up everything in return for the privilege of residing in his presence. And Jesus issues the same warning to us today as he gave the Pharisees of his day. God does not accept our excuses. He does not value our pride or position. He wants us to share in his presence, but only if we desire fellowship with him. And that comes only through a relationship with Jesus Christ.